0: Section forty two of Modern Magic. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brian Mancy. You can find me on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Brian Mancy VO. Modern Magic A Practical Treatise on the Art of Conjuring by Professor Louis Hoffman. Miscellaneous Tricks Part Nine the japanese inexhaustible boxes this is a form of the same apparatus in which an additional element of mystery is produced by the use of a box within a box the inner box is an ordinary inexhaustible box as last described but made with a flat wooden lid instead of the hollow or box lid used in the older form of the trick The outer box just fits over the inner, and is, in fact, a mere cover for it, being an ordinary wooden box, save that it has no front. The two are brought on, one within the other. The performer begins by taking the smaller box, which is ready filled with the objects to be produced, completely out of the larger, and shows that the latter is absolutely empty. He then places the two boxes together, as shown in figure 228, turning over the smaller box to show its interior, as already described. After this is done, the smaller box is tilted back to its normal position, within the larger, the lid of the latter being slightly lifted to allow it to pass, and then both lids being opened together. The production of the contents commences. The function of the larger box is in fact merely to act as a screen to hinder the part of the smaller, when turned over towards the audience. The only advantage of the Japanese over the ordinary box is that it may be worked on any table and with spectators on all sides, but this advantage is counterbalanced by the drawback that nothing can be produced save what was originally in the box, neither can the smaller box be carried round and shown empty this however may be met by beginning the trick with the two boxes together and then after having brought to light the whole of the original contents offering for the pretend purpose of heightening the effect to continue the trick without the aid of the outer box the inner box may thenceforth be replenished from behind in the same way as the ordinary and box the inexhaustible box is frequently made the vehicle for those distributions of bonbons, toys, etc., which to the juvenile mind form by no means the least attractive feature of a magical performance. It is also available for the production of flowers, multiplying balls, goblets, bird cages, and the miscellaneous assortment of articles generally associated with hat tricks. One of the most effective modes of using it is in connection with the very pretty trick next following the feast of lanterns the performer having exhibited the box empty as already described turns it over again and instantly produces from it a paper lantern of many colours with a lighted candle in it this he hands to his assistant or one of the company to hang up at some convenient part of the stage or room and returning to the box produces another and yet another till ten or twelve or even a larger number have been produced the box being every now and then turned over to prove it empty The effect of a number of lanterns thus mysteriously produced from an empty box, and hung about the stage in all directions, is most brilliant. As the candles do not burn very long, and there may be some risk of the lanterns catching fire, it is well to make this trick the finale of the entertainment, and to allow the curtain to fall before the illumination has had time to lose its effect. A great part of the effect of the trick lies in the very considerable bulk of the lanterns, three or four of which would apparently be more than sufficient to fill a box from which a dozen or so are produced this arises from the construction of the lanterns themselves which are of the kind used for christmas trees and illuminations and when open offer a considerable cylindrical surface though when closed they are little more than flat discs they are placed in the box in the condition shown in the last mentioned figure but when lifted out by the wire at top at once expand constantina fashion and assume the shape shown in figure two nine they are lighted in sundry ways one method being as follows each lantern contains about three-quarters of an inch of candle from which the wick has been removed and a wax match inserted in its stead against the front of the box or rather against the wooden flap b c is glued a tablet d of sandpaper upon which to strike the match and a gentle rub against this instantly lights the candle when the lantern is immediately lifted out as already explained there is however an improvement whereby the lanterns are not only made to occupy much less space but may be lighted simultaneously In this case, the little cylinder which forms the socket for the candle, and which should be about half an inch in diameter, instead of occupying the middle of the space at the bottom of the lantern, is placed at one side of such space. One of the lanterns, that which is to be the undermost when they are grouped together, has no further preparation but the second, by the side of its own socket, has a round hole in the bottom, just large enough to give room for the socket of the first. The next, or third, lantern has two holes, allowing the passage of the sockets of the first and second. The fourth has three holes, the fifth four, the sixth five, the seventh sixth, and the eighth seven, so that when the lanterns are placed one upon another in proper order, the sockets of the lower lanterns come up in a circle through the holes in the bottom of the uppermost one. The tops and bottoms are made of tin, which is not only safe from catching fire, but occupies very little space in this case the original wicks of the candles are retained but are slightly moistened with turpentine to render them instantly inflammable and are lighted by a lucifer or wax match struck in the ordinary way the merest touch sufficing to ignite them they may then be lifted out in rapid succession with great effect a group of six or eight lanterns thus prepared may be produced from a borrowed hat being previously concealed in the breast or tail pocket of the performer and loaded into the hat at any convenient opportunity it is desirable in this case to have a friction tablet glued upon the top of the uppermost lantern to strike the match upon as the hat lining is hardly adapted for that purpose the lanterns above described are the most generally used and are by much the easiest to manipulate There is, however, a spherical lantern also obtainable at the toy shops, which has a decidedly prettier effect. This form of lantern is, when shut up, as shown in figure 231. To develop it, the wires A and B are each made to describe a semicircle, as shown by the dotted line, bringing the whole into the condition shown in figure 232, in which condition it is maintained by slipping the loop of A under B the best plan for lighting in this case is to have a separate small piece of candle prepared with a match wick as above mentioned placed in readiness on the cervante and a small pin or sharp nail projecting upwards from the bottom of the box to act as a candlestick the candles in the lantern will in this case need no special preparation the performer first lights the prepared candle by rubbing it against the tablet and then presses it down upon the upright pin we have mentioned The other candles are in turn lighted from this, each lantern being put into shape before being lifted out of the box, which must in this case be of tolerable size in order to admit of their ready development. THE BUTTERFLY TRICK This is a trick of Japanese origin, which became very popular two or three years since. In effect, it is as follows. The performer brings forward an ordinary fan and a couple of bits of tissue paper, each torn into a fanciful likeness of a butterfly. Taking these upon his hand, he gently fans them, the motion of the air speedily causing them to rise above his head. Still gently fanning them, he causes them to hover, now high, now low, now fluttering along the wall, now descending into a gentleman's hat, whence they presently emerge to again flutter hither and thither at his pleasure. The point that most strikes an attentive observer is the fact that, whether they fly high or low, the butterflies always keep together sometimes they may be a couple of feet apart sometimes only a few inches but they never exceed the above limit and the spectator naturally concludes that an extraordinary degree of dexterity must be necessary to enable the performer to keep them from diverging more widely here however in truth lies the secret of the trick which is that the so-called butterflies are connected by a piece of very fine silk a couple of feet in length which when the butterflies are in motion is absolutely invisible to the spectators The remainder of the trick is a matter of practice, though it is less difficult than would be imagined by anyone who had never attempted it. Some performers have the silk thread attached to one of the buttons of the coat. This arrangement will be found greatly to facilitate the working of the trick. The paper for the butterflies is better torn than cut, and should be as nearly as possible of the shape of St. George's Cross, and about two inches square. The Wizard's Omelette borrowed rings and live doves produced from an omelette this is a trick which always produces a great sensation whether performed upon the stage or in the drawing-room its effect is as follows the performer produces either naturally or magically e g from the egg-bag or from the mouth of mrs assistant as described at page 329 three eggs which he hands round for examination His assistant next borrows from the audience three ladies rings receiving them in order to prove that he does not tamper with them in any way on the performer's wand instead of in his hands the wand with the ring still upon it is laid upon the table the assistant next brings in an omelette pan and places it with its lid beside it on the table the performer breaks the eggs into it dropping in shells and all then pours some spirits over it to which he sets fire and while it is still blazing, drops the rings from the wand into it. He brings it forward to show that the rings are really in the flames, and on returning to his table, claps the cover on the pan, and fires a pistol, any ordinary pistol, over it. Without a moment's interval, he again removes the cover. All traces of the omelette and eggshells have vanished, but in their place are found three live doves, each with a ribbon round its neck, to which is attached one of the borrowed rings, the explanation of this surprising result is simplicity itself the reader with his present knowledge will readily conjecture that as to the rings a substitution is effected but he may not so easily guess the manner of such substitution it will be remembered that the rings were collected by the assistant on the performer's wand this arrangement which is ostensibly adopted to prevent in reality facilitates an exchange the assistant makes his collection with three dummy rings placed beforehand on the lower end of the wand and concealed by the hand in which he holds it which we will suppose is the right hand in returning to the stage he takes hold with the left hand of the opposite end of the wand and allows the borrowed rings to run down into that hand at the same moment releasing the dummy rings from the right hand and allowing them to run upon the middle of the wand in place of the others he now has the borrowed rings in his left hand and laying the wand with the substitutes on the table carries them off with him to prepare for the denouement of the trick the only other matter which will require explanation is the construction of the omelette pan this is a shallow pan of brass or tin about ten inches in diameter by two and a half in depth within this is an inner pan also of brass or tin fitting tightly within it but about half an inch less in depth The lid is made with a very deep rim or shoulder all round, and just fits within the lining, though less tightly than the latter fits within the pan. See figure 233, in which A represents the pan, B the lining, and C the lid. The assistant, as soon as he gets behind the scenes, loops the borrowed rings to the ribbons, which are already tied round the necks of the three doves, and places the latter in it, immediately putting on C, the two together having the appearance of a simple cover, and brings forward the pan and cover. The performer now makes his omelette, and drops the substitute rings into it. In bringing forward the pan to show that the rings are really there, he takes care to avoid the owners of them, who would alone be likely to detect the substitution. When he claps on the cover, the trick is really done, the firing of the pistol being merely for effect. When the cover is again removed, the lining remains in the pan, concealing the omelette beneath it, and revealing the doves with the rings attached to their necks. The rose in the glass vase, the ingenious piece of apparatus which we are about to describe, was, we believe, the invention of Robert Houdin. It consists of a glass vase, on a foot, and with a glass lid, standing altogether eight to ten inches in height. This is placed on a square box-like plinth or pedestal, of wood covered with morocco, and measured in about eight inches square by six in height. The lid is placed upon the vase, which, being transparent, is clearly seen to be empty. A borrowed handkerchief is for a moment thrown over the hole, and again removed when a handsome rose, natural or artificial, is seen to have mysteriously found its way into the vase, whence it is removed and handed to the company for inspection. The secret of this mysterious appearance is twofold, lying partly in the vase and partly in the pedestal the vase which at a little distance appears as simple and commonplace as any in a confectioner's window has a segment cut off one side leaving an opening of about five inches in height by three and a half in width see figure two three four this opening is kept turned away from the audience the pedestal like the vase is closed on every side except the side remote from the spectators which is open a curved wire arm with a clip at the end to receive the stalk of the rose works up and down describing a quarter of a circle in this open space a spring hinge on which this arm works impels it to assume the position shown in the figure thus lifting the rose through the opening into the vase the apparatus is set by forcing down the arm with the rose into the position indicated by the dotted lines in which position it is retained by a little catch until the performer in the act of covering the vase with a handkerchief presses a stud at the upper side of the pedestal this withdraws the catch and allows the rose to rise into the vase of course the performer in taking out the flower does so from the top and with proper precautions not to disclose the existence of the opening at the back of the vase the ingenuity of the reader will probably suggest to him combinations to make the trick more effective to those who have not such ready invention, we may remark that the trick may be very effectively combined with that of the ball that changes to a rose, and vice versa. See page 300. Or a duplicate rose may be placed in the mouchoir de Dial, described at page 195, and thence ordered to pass to the vase. End of section 42. Recording by Brian Mancy. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Brian Mancy VO.